This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Tuesday, July 12th. The month continues to move. Summer continues to move across us. And folks, I am very excited. Today, I am in Washington, D.C., standing here with the people from the National Corn Growers Association. And we are very excited to be talking about the future of corn. Taking a look at the markets today, we are seeing a little bit of a sell-off. We'll have a report from the USDA World Agricultural Supply and Demand and estimates a little bit later on this morning. Before we get into that, we're seeing corn down 15 to 16 cents. Soybeans are off 20 to 22 cents. And even the wheat market seeing a bit of a sell-off. Chicago contract down 19 to 20 cents today. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman here in segment two about what's going on in the markets. Before we get to Arlen, though, let's talk about what is happening in the world of corn. We here at AOA are very excited to be working with our friends at NCGA to be bringing a new program called the Monthly Grind highlighting corn usage around the world. Joining me today to talk about it and to talk about Corn Congress and the Action Team meetings, we're joined by Troy Schneider. He's a Colorado farmer and currently serves as the chair for the Market Development Action Team. Troy, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Mike, for having us. And it is a pleasure to be with you and kick off the monthly grind and look forward to uh, many months of this type of an interview and and bringing news on the corn industry. You know, Troy, we've got 500 or so farmers, corn industry association folks running around here in Washington, D.C. today. This is a huge organization. Talk to us a little bit about NCJ. How do you guys manage so many different avenues of policy and of work here in the corn business? You know, NCJ is made up of nearly 40,000 members. And, you know, of that, there's more corn farmers that pay dues into checkoffs, and NCGA manages it with the staff in St. Louis and in D.C. here. We get together. We have the action teams that, uh, you know, the, the officers, John Linder, Chris Edgington, Tom Hegg put together, and we bring everybody's ideas together. And whether you're a small state, a big state, whether you're interested in livestock, new usage, um, ethanol everything comes together here we talk it's kind of that clearinghouse where all the ideas come together and it, you know it's been done since um you know ncj was founded in 1957 so it's very important that uh, we have that one voice that we go forward uh, and all the different policies as we filter through and you know the action teams each action action team has a board liaison that goes back and reports back to the board as to what's going on with staff, and it just gives the board an idea. So it's 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 a filtering system of how those ideas move forward. Troy, and so you are the chair of the market development access team or action team. Troy, tell us what what are you working on in the market development space right now? Well, with market development, you know, one of the new things that's coming up is a sustainable aviation fuel. And that's something that we're looking into. You know, we have an ethanol action team, but the ethanol action team needs to be focused on maintaining uh, the the RFA and everything that goes along with it and defending it and getting, you know, from E10 to E15 and moving forward with uh, increased ethanol consumption and a cleaner burning product there. So with sustainable aviation fuel, but we also have the new usage, uh, you know, we're looking at different uses of corn, whether it be plastics, whether it be that sustainable aviation fuel. And then we also turn around and we have to go back to that livestock market, you know, to set the stage for your listeners. When you're looking at corn and the the 15 billion bushels that we raise you take that percent almost 45 percent of it goes to livestock consumption when you figure in you know 37 roughly 36 37 percent goes directly to life livestock consumption then about nine percent nearly nine percent of the ethanol comes back in ddgs and then you add your beverages and anything that you know, the the grind, the corn starch, the corn syrup, we're almost 50% of our product that we raise, our product, our corn crop in this country goes to, to food product. Now, you take uh, exports out of there, uh, 18, 17%, you're talking almost 70% of, you know, 
seventy percent of the the nation's crop goes to lot to food making food making protein making something good for everybody to eat so everybody has to remember that and that's not to take away from ethanol ethanol is very important but everybody says oh it's food versus fuel no it's not food versus fuel we're making something great with ethanol taking that corn those corn kernels when i take it into our ethanol there in, in uh, yuma colorado at cap and we see the ethanol going out but we see the ddgs going to the livestock it's a win-win there because we're getting two two uh, two things for one Trent, I think that might surprise folks outside of agriculture to hear that Yuma, Colorado has an ethanol facility. Yep. We're a corn deficit state, but that market has been developed such that there is strong demand. How has that been as a producer in that area? It's been great. You know, uh, I'm just old enough to remember the 80s, and I hope I don't step on anybody's toes, but one of the most painful things was to watch or hear people criticize farmers for oh you're getting you're getting subsidized for raising corn and dumping it on the ground so you look out you know in a couple of days we'll have corn in congress but you look out there the people that used to sit in these chairs 20 30 40 years ago they've built the ethanol market and today you know when we say okay 45 percent of our product our national corn crop goes to livestock we're not taking more f corn away from food to go to ethanol we're just raising more corn. And so now we, you know, our carry out is at 1.2, 1.4 each year, maybe a little lower this year, but we're raising more corn and we have that lower carry out. And that's what we're working toward. That market development is to, hey, we all want to raise corn. We enjoy raising corn. It's our business. Um, let's work on increasing demand. We'll raise more corn. There'll still be a little carry out, but that carry out has to be marginal it, it doesn't it can't be huge we don't want it to totally disappear just for security reasons but that's what we're here for is to build that demand absolutely it is and so that's what we'll be talking about each month here on the monthly grind troy as you think about the different issues that we could be talking about what are some of the ones you've got in mind over this summer that you think warrant our focus here as folks in agriculture you know as market development we're sitting down the hall here in washington dc and as the team is back there discussing things we have members from south dakota minnesota michigan from Ohio to Colorado down to Texas, Mississippi. So, you know, and then the Corn Belt is very well represented in there, and the I states, Missouri, and all those ideas come out. And what's exciting is where are we going forward? You know, we know we have, we have to have the right people at the right place at the right time, um, whether it be an ethanol promoting it, whether it be working with NCBA and telling our story on sustainability and helping them tell their story of sustainability. Where does their food product come from? There are customers, they have to know, they have to be able to say, okay, we can get it from the pasture to the feedlot, but what, and it, maybe even in the hog industry, where, what's the story on corn? What is our environmental footprint? So that's one thing I'm excited about is we have to be able to tell that story and we have to be on one page. We have to be one team we'll be doing here each month on the monthly grind with our partners from ncga folks stick around we'll be talking to arlen suderman of stone x when aoa returns hi this is mike pearson you're listening to aoa agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up we gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. 
That's lightthenight.org. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Tuesday, July 12th. I am here in Washington, D.C., as I mentioned, with the National Corn Growers Association for their Action Team and Corn Congress meetings. And I'll tell you, one of the topics under discussion here in D.C., well, it's the markets. All the volatility we've seen over the past several weeks continues today, report day of all days. Joining us to discuss the things happening in that market is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's good to be back with you, Mike. I hope you got your shots before going to D.C. Don't let it affect you too much, although you're with great people there with the corn growers. I am indeed. I'm in good hands over here, Arlen. But I tell you what, these corn growers aren't loving this market today. We're off 17 to 20 cents here in corn. Is this all just on that continuing strength of the dollar? Yeah, I, I start nearly every presentation. I've said this before with a slide that says price is a function of supply and demand, but it's modified by the flow of money. And we're definitely seeing this today, just like on June 30th when we had a bullish acreage number from USDA for soybeans, and, and we just couldn't trade it. And, and we didn't trade it until late last week. Um, the same thing is true today. There's really nothing fundamentally to justify the sell-off. It's a broad-based sell-off in many of the commodities, including the energy and in the food-based commodities, not exclusively across the board. This is not a panic sell-off, but we live in an era today where computers control most of the trade. And uh, uh, the traditional traders, because of the volatility, are on the sideline. If we look at open interest, which is the measure of just that steady participation in the market by producers and end users, it's at historically low levels, but yet volume is up, and that's because most of our day-to-day -day trade action is being driven by these algo computers that are trading momentum and chart signals. So as soon as momentum started to the downside this morning with an elevated VIX and strong dollar index, as you said, at new 19-year highs approaching 20-year highs, then that set the tone and we started going down. And as momentum started building to the downside, then the momentum trading algos added more sell orders and just amplified the move. In the end, the weather over the next few weeks is going to be the primary factor. Today's crop report aside, 
weather the next several weeks. We cannot afford to see a drop in these yields below trend levels for corn. And now with the loss in acreage on June 30th, soybeans, that is going to be the driving force fundamentally, which the markets will eventually trade. Absolutely, they will. And we'll keep watching those forecasts each day as they come out. Arlen, I want to circle back to your comment. You mentioned prices determined by supply and demand impacted by money flow. I'm curious, with all of these large-scale algo traders moving so aggressively in the markets, where is this cash going? Are they just putting it in their pockets? Is it sitting on the sidelines? Well, a lot of it's going to the safe haven assets. If we look at the dollar, part of the reason the dollar is higher is it's seen as a safe haven asset. And with the euro falling, we got a lot of overseas money coming here because they know that our interest rates are going higher. Uh, a lot of money going into U.S. Treasuries, considering that now there's expectations of nearly 100% that we're going to see at least a 75 basis point rate hike um, in the meeting at the end of the month from the Federal Reserve. And Europe's just doing its first rate hike this month, and that'll still leave rates negative. And so in order to participate in our markets, they need U.S. dollars to do so. So that increases demand there as well. So a lot of it's going into U.S. dollar, going into U.S. treasuries, on some of it to the sideline. But one of the things that I've noticed, and I separate out when the CFTC reports come out, I separate out between the hedge funds and the index funds. Hedge funds are, are to a great extent controlled by these computers, but they're riding the current trend, whatever it is, up or down. They may be in and out an hour, two hours, two days, two weeks, or whatever, but they're chasing the current trend. Index funds tend to be long-term investors using these commodities as to hedge their portfolios. And particularly during times of inflation, they've been building ownership in the grain and oil seeds and to some extent the energies as a hedge against inflation. But they've been heavy liquidators of ownership here recently. And some of that may be because they feel like inflation is going to be getting fixed. I don't think that that's the case. I think more of it has to do with losses that they've taken in other areas of their portfolios that they're having to liquidate commodities in order to offset some of those losses. And so that's where the other markets are having a negative impact on the grain and oil seeds in the short term. Arlen, you mentioned the inflation and the, the way that inflation is causing these hedge and index funds to change their investment strategy. I understand tomorrow we're going to get the CPI, that uh, price inflation data, from, from Uncle Sam there. Economists are expecting to see 8.8% increase in inflation year over year. Arlen, if that number prints, would that push more of this inflation trade back into commodities? Yeah, depending on what else may be happening at the time, that generally starts to trend back. And as I've noticed, not every CPI report this year, but most of them, as soon as the number came out, if it came out hotter than expected, we immediately saw money start to go into the grain and oil seeds and into the energy markets in most cases as well. Um, so it does have an impact. And it's also been noted, you, noticed, you said the 8.8% headline number for year on year, but the month on month increase is expected to be close to 1%. That's a significant number. The month on month is still very high. And we're in a time of year now when a year ago rates were high. So it makes it even harder to get those big year on year numbers. Uh, and yet we are. So that says that inflation is getting well ingrained into our economy and something the Fed has said they do not want to let happen. And, uh, but we've never brought inflation under control in this country until we had interest rates above the inflation rate, and we aren't even close to that yet. We are not. Arlen, I want to turn the focus back to weather. You touched on that is going to be the market's focus here over the next several weeks as we enter pollination. Given yesterday's crop conditions data and the forecast, what's your expectation here post-report for this corn uh, market? Well, assuming that fear isn't driving us lower from the outside market, just looking at the fundamentals of these grains, I think risk premium is going to be the focus based on the weather forecasts that come out. We've seen a lot of flip-flopping on rain forecasts from the GFS over the last four. I think there no two have been the same. Um, so the question is, where does the high-pressure ridge set up? 
Um, where does it move to over the next couple of weeks? Then we'll have the ridge running storms coming around it, those cluster storms that it's difficult for the models to pick up. Those cluster storms are where we get some of our high winds, but also some of our heavy rains. But it also means that you may get two or three inches of rain in a couple of miles away. They get nearly nothing. Um, so it'll be the haves and have-nots. It's generally expected that that's going to get pushed to the north and to east of the Midwest in the Great Lakes area, um, that Iowa may miss out and maybe Illinois, but that's going to be a part of the question that gets answered over the next couple of weeks is how is that ebb and flow of that high pressure ridge and where does it push the track for those cluster storms that are riding up and over and around that high pressure ridge. Arlen, taking a look over at the livestock market, seeing some weakness today in live cattle. Again, is just this that recession fear coming into the beef markets? That, that's a big part of it. Uh, we're still looking for the cash market to really get established this week. But when the stock market is down hard or even of significance, and now it's more of a compilation, then you start getting worries about the consumer. Uh, consumer sentiment has really been struggling, and the consumer tends to pull back purchases of those higher cuts of meat uh, when that happens. So that's weighing on it, certainly. Cash trade has generally been above the board in the cattle market. That's provided some support, um, but there's still that reluctance to really build ownership in the protein complex right now. Do you expect to see the cash trade start to develop late this week, Arlen? Uh, generally, we've been starting to see it a little bit later than what we used to. We went through quite a period here this spring where it seemed like um, we were establishing it on Tuesdays, and then it's slowly been kind of getting later and later in the week. We do expect that we may see some start to set up here over the next couple of days. Um, I would anticipate uh, maybe tomorrow that we'll see more significant action start to unfold into Thursday. All right. Things to keep an eye on as we march through the week. Our thanks to Arlen Suderman. He's the chief commodities economist over at Stonex. And Arlen, always appreciate your insights. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on AOA. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to have more coming to you from the NCGA meeting here in Washington, D.C. When AOA returns, we're going to talk more about market development and what is happening out there in building future demand for U.S. corn. Stick around. More AOA is coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, it's all about money flow here today ahead of the July World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report from USDA as we see a general risk-off tone and just a general sell-off here pretty much across most commodities. Crude oil down around $7 a barrel, around the $97 level here this morning as we see the grain markets down double digits liquidating ahead of the USDA reports. There's nothing really 
fundamentally happening that is causing us to move to the downside. It's not really about supply and demand. It is about that money flow. Recession fear in the market is leading to money moving to safe haven assets here as we work through our Tuesday. Soybeans are leading the way lower along with bean oil falling hard in tandem with a very weak crude oil market as I mentioned as well. Also expectations for the upcoming CPI report that could show even higher inflation than last month. That has helped to weaken the markets as well. Overall just a, a down day here. General risk off tone it's appearing to be across the board. Now uh, we do have the USDA report out at 11 a.m. Not expecting any surprises but if we do get a surprising number that is bullish it could help out the grain markets. We will have to see. Livestock trade is fairly mixed here this morning as a cash cattle market hasn't seen any bids develop yet but asking prices in the south are noted at 139 to 140. Asking prices in the north are still elusive. Right now, some of the numbers in the trade. Let's take a look at them. Cord for September down 18 and a half, 618 and a half. Soybeans August down 29 and a half, 1492 and a half. September Chicago wheat 23 and a half lower, 833. September KC wheat down 27 and a quarter, 888. Spring wheat September down 30 and three quarters, 933. Live cattle slightly lower. Feeder cattle slightly higher and hogs mixed around unchanged. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here from Washington, D.C. If you hear in the background throughout today's episode clinking of glasses and murmuring of voices, that's because there are 500 corn growers and state staff members here in D.C. talking about the future of that industry. And I'm joined today by two of them. We've got Troy Schneider. We spoke with in segment one. Still with us, Troy. Thanks for sticking around. No problem. Thanks. We've also got Denny Vinacotter here, an Ohio corn grower and hog producer. Denny, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. You know, one of the things happening all around us right now is these meetings, these action team meetings. They're talking, they're plotting, they're planning the future. Denny, tell us a little bit about what sort of things are being discussed at these meetings. Well, like in our action team with market development, we talk a lot about our feed customers and that. and. Some of the things that we work with is other organizations. I, I'm thinking about the U.S. Meat and Export Federation, and, and it means a lot to me as a hog producer that they're here working to try to export the meat that we produce and that because we produce more than what the United States needs, so we ship it out, and it adds value. It adds value to the corn grower that we're adding value to that bushel of corn by shipping it out through through meat and that and that, and that and that means a lot to us indeed and it's one of the themes i've heard repeated a lot as i'm talking to folks in the lobby is partnerships the ability to to find the strengths of corn u.s corn and pair it up with the strengths of the other production classes here around the country trey i know you've been very active in this in a while how have you seen partnerships develop in in your time here with ncga mike when you get travel down to National Cattlemen's Beef Association like we did in February, and you and I had a chance to talk there. Uh, when you look at livestock consumption and being 45% of our national crop each year, it's very important that when those 
when their customers, the cattlemen's customers, want to talk about sustainability. We have our numbers in front of us that, you know, since 1980, we've reduced the, the amount of land it takes to produce a bushel of corn by 41%. NCBA needs to know that. National Pork needs to know that so they can go and tell that story at the same rate. That, you know, we've also increased our our yield every year. And over the last 25 years, you know, it's, it's about a 2% annual increase. What, in there in that range. I hope I'm correct on that one. But we're raising more corn on less land. Our footprints are better. And, you know, you ask the question, what's going on here in D.C.? It's communication. Everybody's talking about how do we market corn? How do we move that needle to where, you know, whether it's policy, whether it's science, whether it's uh, just visiting, like Denny mentioned, the United States Meat Export Federation building those relationships across the seas to where in troubled times in a trade war, we don't have to worry about, uh, they don't have to worry about where their food's going to be coming from. They know the United States is open. We're here for business and, you know, um, to be silly, a little bit silly about it. You think back, uh, if you've watched cartoons, there was a cartoon where two characters, one character to ask the other, what are we doing today, Pinky? Take world domination brain. Now, farmers don't think that way. It's more like the guy making the donuts. It's time to get up and make the donuts. When we wake up in the morning, we're ready to feed and fuel the world. That's our goal. Indeed. And telling that story, getting that message out there, I'm so glad you mentioned the idea of you got to have the right info from the folks who are doing the work so the folks at the next stage of the game can have that conversation. Because, Denny, I, I hear from a lot of people in ag, we're kind of tired of talking about sustainability. It seems like it's every other word when we have these meetings, but consumers are demanding it and they want to hear that story. Is that something you hear from the, the partnerships you've worked on? You do. They, they, they just kind of want to know where their, where their food is coming from. And, and, and like Troy and I was talking about one time, you, you take the beef and, and now they want to know where the corn that's fed to the beef and stuff like that. So that's, that's, our, that's how we're trying to help tell that sustainability story. And the consumer just wants to know where their stuff, where their food is coming from and you can't blame them. No, you, you can't at all. I think we all like to have more information as we're making our decisions day to day. Denny, I've got to ask you, you're out in Ohio. How are things looking in the eastern Corn Belt? As long as we've got farmers on the program, we got to get a crop update. What are you seeing? Uh, Ohio, to me, is very variable. Uh, there's parts of the state went in very good. Other, our area, we, uh, it's very... You see a good cornfield, then you see one that's up and down and waves at you when you go by. So I, I predict Ohio to have an average. It's not going to be a bumper crop, but I feel it'll be average. It'll be average. And the key is finding a good home for that crop. And in Northwest Ohio, where you're located, Denny, there is a strong ag or animal ag contingent right there. Can you tell us a little bit about what's around you? Yeah. So in, in the western part of the state, lots of hogs. We have chickens. We also have turkeys and we have the dairy industry like like the corn i raised most of it goes to uh we, we'll feed the hogs i have a large dairy 3500 cow dairy that we sell silage to and we have a, two ethanol plants within 20 miles so i'm very fortunate where i live for my markets uh you know and that even that uh, the ddgs that come out of the ethanol plant most of it gets used in the state for livestock feed. It's incredible the way that you've got so many different markets that have been built up over the years to find avenues to get that grain sold is fantastic. Denny, it looks like you got more to add. What do you think? Well, I think back to when I first started 40 years ago, we had a few hogs on the farm and the rest of it had to go to town to an elevator and put on a train and exported somewhere today. Not so much. I have a lot more opportunities. Right. Finding that opportunity right in the backyard. And, and, and that's what our action team is about, is to try to create markets so we add value to the corn here in the U.S. and, and don't have to ship it out. Yeah. And the way we find new avenues to add that value, I was wondering, Troy, could you tell us a little bit about the Corn Consumer Challenge? 
uh, Consider Corn Challenge. Um, NCGA launched that a few years ago. We're entering our fourth segment of it. It's about an every other year project. Uh, different years will focus on different aspects. Uh, sometimes it's total new ideas sometimes it's ideas that just need to get over the finish line a little bit more they need um, just a little bit more to finish up so each year is a little bit different but some of those um, companies are viable they're going most all of them are and it's just a way for us to set down uh, back in june we had the, the corn utilization technology conference and it opened my eyes to how many different people it takes you know if, if you got a passion for feeding hogs or if you have a passion for ethanol and the science behind making ethanol or if you have a passion like brent boyston when it comes to politics and selling things here in dc it takes all sorts to make the corn sales go around and so it's you know from raising it to the science of uh, processing it and getting more out of that kernel and then moving forward and, and having the right people, right place, right time, but the right policies in place is very important. It is, and it's fascinating to me to see an industry like corn, which is a plant that we've had for quite a while running around us. It continues to innovate. You don't want to see the corn industry be stagnant, do you? No, no, we don't want to, we don't want to become dinosaurs. We don't want to go away. Um, you know, 50 years ago, if you were to say that we, we had 27% uh, of our nation's corn crop go to ethanol, they wouldn't have thought that. And so we want to be nimble. We want to move forward, you know, whether it's in plastics, biodegradables, the livestock industry, the ethanol, sustainable aviation fuels is something that's coming on board fast. We want to be able to move forward and take advantage of what, it, what the possibilities are in the future taking advantage of what the possibilities are. You know, that reminds me, Denny, you said earlier the work that National Corn has done with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. You're a pork producer. Of course, we rely on the international community. Can you talk a little bit about how animal exports, meat exports, poultry, beef, pork, that all is a corn export as well, isn't it? It, it is. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's poultry that we send out, beef, pork, it just it just adds value to that that bushel of corn back here. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers that it adds, but but I know it just means a lot. You know, we just in our area to have them different markets to be able to sell your corn to a livestock dairy farm, or it just you have so many more opportunities. I can throw in there. Uh, you know, Denny was mentioning the numbers. Poultry exports. Poultry exports bring 28 cents per bushel to a, to a corn. So, you, you know, uh, you might think at the price of corn today, 28 cents, well, go back 48 months, a few more months, 28 cents was a big deal. And so 28 cents here, 32 cents here, that's what adds up and that's what makes us go forward. It certainly does. And Troy, real quick before we let you go, are you optimistic about the new products for corn that will be developed here in the future? You know, when I joined market development a few years ago, it was, I thought, exports, livestock, ethanol, but the, the new items that are coming around that we can make corn out of and breaking that corn kernel down, it uh, is very exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. It is exciting. It's very cool for me to be here to talk to all of you folks as you chart this new future for corn. And I'm really excited to be bringing the monthly grind once a month here to AOA. And folks, that is going to be getting started. It'll be the first Wednesday of each month here brought to you by our friends, the National Corn Growers Association. Stick around. We will have more AOA coming up when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines to keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Joining me today is Justin Cauley. He's the Senior Director of Transportation with CHS. Justin, supply chain issues continue to be an ongoing topic of conversation. How is this impacting agriculture? Railroads, barge lines, trucking companies, and many other parts of the supply chain are still dealing with unanticipated demand surges and unprecedented hiring issues. Working a transportation job where you're away from home for weeks at a time is not attractive to many starting in the workforce. And that's making it difficult to keep our supply chains robust with our current growth trajectory. I believe this is not a short-term problem and we need to find ways to either attract people to these roles or find ways to move products with less labor. Justin, from that hiring perspective, how long do you expect these challenges to persist in the supply chain sector? Well, farmers should anticipate that the transportation issues persist for some time. These labor issues we're facing today started prior to the pandemic, and the pandemic merely accelerated the direction allowing labor more remote work opportunities and essentially more flexibility, which isn't possible with many of the supply chain industrial jobs as they exist today. My advice to farmers is to be vigilant to the transportation issues and understand how they may impact your operations. Justin, will the supply chains be ready from a transportation standpoint for farmers' needs this summer? Many of the inputs for industrial equipment and farm equipment are produced overseas, and the long lead times, among other factors, have created tremendous backlogs for a variety of products. Looking at container rates alone, there are some signs that the macro environment is returning to normal, but many are holding their breath about the impact of China's extended COVID lockdowns on the supply chain. It's critical that we keep our ports and inland transportation networks fluid, and if you have any questions about how it may impact you, please refer to your local CHS representative for advice. Folks, that's Justin Colley, Senior Director of Transportation with CHS. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just joining us today, I am in Washington, D.C. We are broadcasting live from the National Corn Growers Association summer meeting. We've got action teams meeting here all around me, and we'll have Corn Congress getting underway. Joining me to talk about all issues impacting corn, we've got Troy Schneider. He's a Colorado farmer, and he's the chair of the market development team here at NCGA. Troy, thanks for sticking around and talking to us some more. No problem. Glad to be here. And we've also got Denny Vinacotter here, Ohio farmer and vice chair of the market development board denny thanks for joining no problem guys we have talked a lot about the exciting opportunities ahead for u.s corn and they are many but we got to grow it and this year has certainly been a challenge whether it's weather or input prices denny let's start in the eastern corn belt how were farmers around you grappling with the much higher fertilizer cost this year yeah when you talk about much higher when i one time i had a paper so I get prices in December, last December, and I kept the one from the year before. 200, 300% increases. You know, people think when gas, gas is twice as much, that's only 50% or whatever. It's like, it's just, it's hard to get that into the budget. You know, where, where, do, we, where do we come up with all this extra money? So... Yeah, a 20% jump is a big jump. A 300% jump is almost unfathomable. Yeah, it, it's just, but as a livestock producer, I get to utilize my manure so I don't have to buy as much fertilizer as maybe Troy does. But yeah, Troy, what did you see out in Colorado when you guys are out west? You know, the supply was good. Uh, prices, we were able to lock in with our supplier. In December, uh, we locked our prices in. They were a little bit higher than, oh, well, I mean, they were higher, but they weren't as high as if we would have waited. And so uh, with that, that allowed us to a little risk management to go in, price corn then. We knew our break even, uh, you know, around $5.25 when you figured everything in. Then we could start marketing a little bit. Uh, you know, we didn't see... We didn't know the price was going to jump again on on the commodities, which was great, and so that helped everybody out. But uh, when it comes to fertilizer, you know, uh, whether it's the tariffs or anything else, you, you talk about being here in Washington D.C. with Corn Congress. Uh, for everybody out there listening, that's why it's important to be a member of National Corn Growers and other uh, commodity organizations and and invest in your check office. We're less than two percent of the population our voice is not being heard. And so it's groups like this that come to DC, have the conversations on a, and our staff on a daily basis visit with these individuals that make decisions. You know, they always joke that Washington DC is run by 25 year olds. There are a lot of people who help run things and you have to have those decisions and those inputs and people can't make the decisions if they don't have the facts in front of them. And so they need to know Senator Bennett needs to know what fertilizer prices have done, you know, and and what specifically is affecting his producers back in Colorado. So, you know, it's all about food security. It's about making sure we have food on the table. And, you know, like I said earlier, we enjoy growing corn and we're we're more efficient now than we ever have been with our production. So uh, I would just just a shout out for membership on that that you know go out and join your local your state organization your national organization whether it be corn cattle it doesn't matter but be involved indeed and another thing i will say when you're coming to dc if you're part of an organization they're a lot more likely to take your call if you want to get in to see a legislator see a regulator and you say i'm with ncga they go oh Okay. Yep. I was also going to say, Troy, you mentioned efficiency. You're in eastern Colorado. It gets dry out in eastern Colorado, but we've continued to see corn make advances, and you're growing profitable crops out there yep. most years, I would imagine. You know, uh, corn has had a, a great increase on the dry land acres, whether it be in western Kansas, the panhandle of Texas, eastern Colorado. Um, that technology that has allowed us the drought resistance, the the resistance for bugs and different things especially that drought tolerant variety of corn that that is out there it has allowed us to change our farming practices and go away from as much wheat as we once had and be more diverse so it's helped with the chemical you know we've reduced our chemical footprint just because the technologies it's there and then you know 
uh, part of our irrigated farm in eastern Colorado, I joked, uh, it was in Syngenta in 2017 in Minneapolis. And I said something about, we have an irrigated circle of ground that's been continuous corn since 1947. And he looked at me and he goes, you're from Yuma County, Colorado, aren't you? And I said, yeah, why is that? I said, well, we don't, you know, he said, you don't have a rotation. This is where rootworm's been heavy and different things. And it's that technology. We don't have to go out and kill all the beneficials now. If we want to get something that's a pest to us, the beneficials can stay. We can do it cleaner, more efficient, and we don't have that, that big, heavy footprint there. And now it's telling that story to consumers and legislators and regulators. Denny, as you look out to the future and all the things that are changing in this industry, what are you most excited about? Well, I think I think about my kids back home and that, and, and that's why we're here. I mean, we're here to tell our story so the next generation ha has a bright future. And, and, and it does look bright. I mean, uh, people need to eat. The population of the world continues can, can to grow. And I think the corn farmers of the United States are up to the task of supplying the, the food, the feed, and the fiber for it. And I bet you're looking forward to getting that combine out there and seeing how she yields this year. Yeah, we got a couple months yet till that happens. We we got to make it through pollination yet. We got we got to get through that first, and then we'll get excited. Absolutely. But those times are coming. Troy, as you look out, as you think of all the, the new technologies, the new uses for corn that, that will be explored here by NCGA over the coming years, what, what has you optimistic about the future? What has me optimistic about the future is simply this. It's the unknown. Um, you look back as to where, you know, if, uh, hybrid corn years ago, and as it moves forward, Roundup Ready technology, and then you look at ethanol. It's been good, it's been quick, who knows what's coming. Likes me. The unknown is exciting, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Mike Pearson, coming live from Washington, D.C. at the National Corn Growers Action Team Meeting and Corn Congress. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow talking with Ethan Lane of NCBA about some of the policy changes that could impact beef. Tune in on Wednesday to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, Better lives, lives together.